Purple Heart Homes presents Putting the Pieces Back Together, a forum for veterans and the community to connect. Here are your hosts, veterans John Galena and Brad Borders. Well, uh, John's here. I'm not sure where Brad's at. I, am I not Brad Borders? Uh, no, you're definitely not Brad Borders. Oh, man. Uh, you want to well, say a prayer for us? Uh, well, I, I, I okay, don't. Okay, you're not Brad. <laughs> <laughs> How's that? So what, tell me, is it a poncho or is it a whoopee? Let's see if you're it Brad. It is definitely a poncho liner. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, you and Brad are definitely hanging out together then. Uh, he, he's the one that says it's a whoopee. Yeah. What, what is that? What, I still don't get that. Whoopee, that's like a security blanket well, see, or something, when, right? When you're affectionate about something, uh, when you care oh. about something, you give it a nickname. Oh, okay. Right? And so that's why we call you Devil Dog, because we, we care so much about you. We, oh, it's affection that we're showing. You see all this, all this uh, antics about uh, me getting fired from the show <laughs> because I'm picking on Marines and Marine moms are calling and complaining on me and trying to get me arrested. Uh, this this idea that I I don't love Marines is just it's just a farce. It's, it's something that you have created. Me, I didn't yeah. create this. I, I, yeah. you shouldn't have upset the uh, Marines. Marine Mothers of America. Oh, I don't, Marine I don't, Mothers of America. I think that's an organization. It's probably <laughs> somewhere. At the, if it's not, it, it should it be. It sounds like a, an organization, but I, I would never have thought that moms would have had to come to the defense of the Marines. <laughs> I'm just saying. I'm just well, saying. Well, you know, they didn't have to come to the defense of the Marines. It's just that that uh, they, they know that... Um, you know, I don't, I've got nothing here. It's, it, it does seem a little bit bad when moms come to the defense of Marines. I, I got to be honest; that's well, to, uh, it's not painting the, us in the best light. To all I the moms uh... of Marines, just know that I love your children. They they are so fun. The only problem the only problem that I have with them is that they steal my crayons. We have stole none of your crayons. There's just First, no evidence of you stealing my crayons because you ate it. Oh. Oh my gosh! Are you going to continue the shenanigans the entire show? Probably not, because we got a really awesome guest on on the line with us, and he is uh, smarter than both of us because he served in the Air Force. And I think we should probably get to him. <laughs> we probably should. And, and we got a uh, and we got a special, super special fill in uh, co host. That's mm. right. Well, you know, I, I brought her on for a reason. Yeah, let's uh, hear it. So, so Lisa Allen is our new executive of marketing. Is that, is that the right title? I'm really bad with titles. Help me out. Marketing communications. That's great. Yeah. Okay. Executive <laughs> VP of marketing Ex- communications. VP. EVP. I, John, I don't even know what your title is. <laughs> Heck, I don't know what my title is. Yeah, well, <laughs> but Lisa, um, she is, is our new marketing and communications guru, uh, extraordinaire and, uh, expert. Um, and, she uh, is has a very special connection today's guest. I do. Uh, how how are you uh, connected with him? This is my uncle, and he is, you know, one of the coolest guys ever. Like growing up, we would always hear these amazing stories, and I just have always thought the world of him. So my mother, it's my mother's sister's husband. Did you follow that? That almost sounds kind of... sister's husband. That does sound a little, yeah, Yeah. like space ballsy. Yeah, there Um. you go. So keep up. I know it's difficult. (laughs) Well, I'm I'm sure it's going to be exciting. And and I think the the thing I was thinking uh, was that um, a lot of folks out there, you may not have served yourself, but but, uh, Lisa right here is an example of how 
all of us who may have not served, but you have a connection who to those who have. Exactly. And with that, uh, we'll, we'll let John get in the interview before I start uh, fumbling all over myself more. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, I'm going to tell you we're uh, we got got some really great stuff going on, and I'm super super happy to uh, be able to hear about this story and, and about Ed's service. And let's just dive right in. Is is Ed still on the line with us? Ed, can you hear us? All right. Loud and clear. All right. Hear you. Ed, tell us a little bit about your background. Where where are you from? Well, I was born in Bluxy, Mississippi, but uh, that's all over is actually where I'm from because I was born into a military family. I tell everybody I got federal stock members stamped on my butt. <laughs> <laughs> oh my! I God. like that. I like that. And, um, and if you're a service brat, you understand that. But uh, uh, I, I'm always check back here to just make sure they haven't washed off. That's that's funny. I I like that. Do you have to get Joyce to tell you? No. <laughs> 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 oh gosh. <laughs> but really, lived uh, in some pretty neat places. An opportunity to live in Europe as well as all over the United States. So uh, probably one of the neatest, neatest places. My dad was part of the initial candidate at the Air Force Academy. So I lived there for five years, from the time at Denver, and then down to Colorado Springs and next to the Rampart Range. So we were the first people who lived down there, and it was really an interesting experience. So uh, we, we usually ask our guests uh, what, what brought them to the military, but it sounds like uh, you're, you have a, a long history in your family of that. Is that right? Yeah. Well, what got me interested was uh, in the old days, uh, just after the transition to formal Air Force, you could take your family to fly an airplane. And when we were stationed at uh, Montgomery, uh, there was C-47 that my dad was one of the pilots for that flew uh, uh, people around to various locations in the United States. And he did the same thing when we were at the Air Force Academy. So I got a chance to fly with him on a, a C-47. And that was, that was a great experience. Uh, and that right there told me that that's what I wanted to do, too. He was a P-51 pilot. And... Uh, and flew B-25s in World War II. No kidding. Flew P P-51s in the Poussin perimeter. So in 1950, uh, we left um, Maxwell or Eastern Air Force Base and stayed with my uh, grandmother for two years while my dad was over in Korea. And uh, it was interesting to... I saw a lot of pictures from that time frame, and dad never wanted to talk about his experiences, but for a couple pictures in his old uh, box of a P-51 with holes all over it. it, had a M on the tail. Oh, wow. And they recognized each other in their formations and in their squadrons by painting their last, their last name on the tail of the airplane. Two airplanes I saw had big M's on the tail, and when I got into the service, I finally figured out what that was all about. He crash-landed two of his airplanes on an uh, airfield called K-9, uh, which was the airfield in Poos. So that's some of the experiences that you know, you won't wish he would tell you about, but I guess that type of thing I grew up to understand when I had some similar experiences, too. But yeah. there were fun ones, too. He told told us about uh, getting um, uh, paperback novels sent to him when he was over in seas. Uh, and he, once he read it, he'd pass it around, and when it got back to him, it was all in pages. Everything was complete. Pages all in order. 
but the cover had been read off the book by the time it got back up. Uh, <laughs> Imagine to how many hands did that pass through, you think? Oh, gosh. It was well-worn. He kept one of them, and they had put cardboard on the front back of it and punched holes in it and had pieces of thread holding the, what was binding together in the book. So I thought that was interesting to be able to see that he had some memories like that. Wow, that that but really was, is uh, that that really is interesting, Ed. Uh, we're coming up on a break right now, um, and uh, for all of you who are listening, uh, we'll we'll get back to uh, Ed after this break, putting the pieces back together. <laughs> you all right, Dom? No. Uh, <laughs> what made you? Welcome to Putting the Pieces Back Together, presented by Purple Heart Homes. And you are listening to us live here on News Talk Radio at WSIC News Station. Are you trying to get your $18? No, I'm not trying to get my $18. I just thought we had trained you better and that you uh, had that down pat. And so you I know, wanted you to hear it correctly. <laughs> oh, 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 I appreciate that. You know, I, you, they say you can't teach an old dog new tricks. So Yeah? yeah and, and, so you're and, calling yourself an old dog? Well, an old devil dog. Oh, an old devil dog. Okay. <laughs> Okay, as long as your mom doesn't think that I'm making fun of you. Oh, gosh. <laughs> I'm getting the thumbs down by the engineer, so uh, yeah. we better get, get over my dad jokes and uh, yeah, so get I wanna, back to the guest. I want to get back to uh, Ed. Yeah, I want to yeah. hear more of his story. And and so, um, so Ed, as, as you kind of transition into the service and, and you start uh, doing your training, what's What's a uh, somebody has a, had a leadership uh, influence on you? I mean, somebody that's a you know retired colonel. You certainly uh, had your fair share of uh, leadership opportunities, but who's somebody in in your career that was an influence on you? Well, to start with, a smart commander who went through pilot training was Max the Axe Stevens, and uh, you live in fear of these senior guys. He'd had a couple of tours in Vietnam, so. Uh, I get in at 71, so I'd, I'd miss the part. But uh, the other guy that was influential was a guy, a guy named uh, Wild Bill Gonzo Atkins. And I'll tell you about the personality of these guys. I asked Gonzo one time, did he ever smile? And he looked at me and he goes, Modica, I am smiling. <laughs> <laughs> he looked like the, the Muppet Gonzo, and he walked around with a filterless camel, not lit sticking out of the side of his mouth, all hunched over, and he'd stare at you every once in a while and say, what are you looking at? And you know, and just, I can't believe you're still alive. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That is But I, I had two really uh, good enter, uh, uh, mentors. The first one was John Jumper, who retired as Chief of Staff of the Air Force. And the other one was Hugh Shelton, who retired as the uh, commander of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. They were really special people, and uh, I learned a lot from both of them. Well, I've certainly uh, heard a lot about General Shelton over the years, and uh, what, what an extraordinary man with a with a very storied career. That's that's really fantastic. Are are there any uh, yeah. particular lessons that stand out from these guys? Uh, yeah, one of them was. I worked directly for Jumpers in a unique position. I was a group commander when he was a uh, Ninth Air Force commander. Uh, and what I did was represent the Air Force to the Army, principally the 18th Airborne Corps, 
and three of the special forces groups at, that were stationed at Fort Bragg. I, didn't, I told you I was a pilot, but it was also a jumper. So that's why I was there at uh, Fort Bragg. But uh, I had an incident where I had to relieve one of my squadron commanders. Um, and I called General Jumper because he's the guy that was really supposed to do that. When I told him what it was all about, he said, well, I'm good. I'm glad you fired that guy because if you had done it, I'd have fired you too. Oh, wow. So, that gets your attention. And uh, he said, you need to pay attention to the regs or sometimes when you have to take those uh, steps. About four months later, there was a major uh, flood on at this springtime all through the Ohio Valley. And one of the units that was mine was at Fort Campbell, Kentucky. The commander of the, uh, uh, the, the 101st Airborne got a call from the Kentucky governor on the other side of the river, the Ohio governor, that they had major communities that were stranded and were, their communications were all destroyed because of the flooding. So the commander of the 101st went to my squadron commander there and said, uh, can we borrow your radio systems and your operators to keep in touch with people? Of course, this guy uh, uh, said yes and started uh, helicoptering to these stranded communities, literally surrounded by flood. You're, you're just oh. out there sending helicopters to, to help out a, a community out in rural America during a flood. That's right. That that's that's, exactly that's right. amazing. The radio, the radio systems we had could reach quite uh, long distances, and they could. This is unofficially reach <laughs> into civilian communications frequencies and relay information. So we hooked up with the police and emergency responders and transmitted update information all along the Ohio Valley to these disrupted areas. Uh, and it lasted for about very successful civilian and military uh, uh, communication support. And uh, then it was all over to the chief of staff of the Air Force at the time uh, and complimented him on the support his units provided to them during this incident. Well, the chief of staff called the 9th Air Force commander who then called me. And he said, I really appreciate what you did, and I, I knew about it, but uh, there's something called posse comentata. Say that again? The law, it was just posse comentata. Yeah, you got the same reaction I did. Posse co comitatus. Posse comitatus. Devin, you don't need to say that. <laughs> no. <laughs> Passed in the, uh, in, the, in the 1800s, I think it was 1878, and it was a law that said federal forces cannot operate inside the, the United States without express permission from the President of the United States after a formal request from the governor of that state. We didn't do any of that. Oh, so, no. Technically, I, I was up for court-martial. Oh, my gosh. So, General Jumper said, <laughs> said uh, I want you to go over to the legal office at uh, Fort Bragg, sit down with the legal guys over there, and have them brief you on posse comitata. And when you get back, <laughs> we're going to have a little discussion. So uh, that lasted for about two hours. And I went back and he said, I don't need a briefing from you. Just remember, the next time you do that, you better check with me first. Wow. But we got all kinds of letters of, of compliment and thank yous and that type of thing. And finally, the chief of staff, who really was the guy who was pushing for court-martial for me for doing that. He was pushing for it. Uh, 
Yeah. But uh, General Jumper's the one that got me off the hook. And there was another guy by the name of Hugh Shelton who got me off the hook, too. Because he had a congressman who was a, a football player with him at NC State named Hefner. And Hefner went up and had a declaration made in Congress <laughs> to get us out of trouble. That's really an amazing story. I, I my my gosh, I, I can't imagine you're you're out there um, doing good things for for the citizens of the United States, and because of your good deed, you're you're uh, being put up for a court martial. That's a, usually you would think you get a commendation or something, oh you know. Gosh. But uh, <laughs> uh, I just think, getting out of trouble was all I wanted. <laughs> That Lord. is accommodation in some ways, right? <laughs> I mean, obviously, it didn't have that big of an impact on your career as you uh, continued to uh, rise through the ranks. Yeah. That w- but when you're working for people like that, they have a tendency to have you back. That's right. That's really important when you've got people like that. Wow. That is that is really cool. But that was a great experience. i tell you some of the other uh, commanders that, uh, were really special. Uh, I had to do a complete reorganization of this group I was in command of. I had a two-star general up at Air Combat Command sat down with me and went through all the different uh, steps to do this. Uh, what we both didn't know was that uh, the, the chief of staff at the time really didn't like it the way it was done. So he called me directly and said, if you don't fix what you're screwing up here, I'm going to go south on you in a New York minute. So I called General Jumper back and uh, said, what do I do about this? He said, I'll talk to him. And he he completely went through the steps we were faced with and fixed everything that this four-star general didn't really understand. The guy was a, um, I won't mention his name. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you, you're afraid he might still court-martial you? No, <laughs> now, he's still, uh, he was not well thought of in the Air Force. Inundated <laughs> with uh, telephone calls from people that are agreeing with me. May not have to say but his name. Uh, well, you know, I have a feeling there's a whole bunch of people listening going, yeah, I know who he's talking about. <laughs> you know, it's but really it a small world. <laughs> Right, the the connections and the relationships—it's uh, really amazing how small of a world it is. And and so we're uh, we're we're coming up here on our our next break, and uh, just to hear a, a few words from our sponsors. But yeah, you know, I'm just uh, so so intrigued by these stories. I mean, just to to think of uh, you know having somebody you know on the show that uh, that that served with General Shelton. I mean, I think that's just absolutely phenomenal, and uh, really really could listen to these stories all day long. But one of the things I want to hear about when you when you come back is uh, from the, our break, is is you know really what that reintegration was like for you. You know after you took the uniform off and and you know just to kind of start to understand what your transition was like and 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 after a lifetime of service, you know what were some of the the things that you struggled with and and maybe uh, lessons that you learned from your time in service that you were able to apply, you know, in, in that transition and maybe some advice that you would share with uh, those that, you know, are, are maybe facing that transition now. And, you know, a lot of times we just simply think about transition after coming home from combat. But, you know, there's so many that served for, you know, 10, 20, 30 years, maybe never saw combat or maybe saw combat, but then served for another, you know, 
decade or so after, and then they transition to civilian life. And so there's all these different variables, and we look forward to hearing more from you as we get back. And and uh, I want to see if we have to uh, go south in a New York minute here with Devin, if he can get south it right this time. In a New York minute. <laughs> hey, we'll, we're you're listening to putting we're, the pieces back together. Yeah, I back. I totally messed it up. Uh, on what station? <laughs> on WSIC. You stalk now. <laughs> That's perfect. You're a winner, Devin. Uh, Woo-hoo. All right. Welcome back to Putting the Pieces Back Together, presented by Purple Heart Homes. And uh, we are here with the most extraordinary guest, retired Colonel Ed Modekai. Did I say that right, Ed? Yes. All right. Perfect. And uh, so we're uh, we're we're thrilled to be hearing your stories and, and you've shared a little bit about where you're from, how you wound up in the service, talked about some of the leadership uh, experiences and, and folks that uh, you learned from along the way. And and now we'd really like to hear about some of your reintegration experiences and, and what that was like for you after uh, finishing a, an amazing career working with some some really, really amazing leaders uh, as well. And uh, just hear about what some of your experience was like uh, turning back into civilian life. Well, I, I went the easy route. I went to work for a defense contractor doing essentially the same things I was doing in the latter half of my career, working in uh, uh, contracting with uh, data links and other command and control functions that I was directly involved in. Uh, one of the interesting parts of my not flying time was I worked as an acquisition officer at the Air Force Communications Command when it was at Bridges uh, Bar. I worked positioning satellite system and, and all the data link systems that are set up at Nellis Air Force Base where they fly red flags. And these data link systems connect all the airplanes while they're doing the events. So no, when I no. got but before you move on, what are what are red flags for those that don't know? Uh, it's an ex- exercise similar to what uh, is done in the, the Army with uh, you know, mass jump and jumps and then uh, setting up a command post or the simulated airfield and working through command exercises. And there's also the uh, uh, commander's uh, exercise programs. I forget the acronym. But when a, uh, a division goes through a a training exercise that's managed out of uh, Fort Leavenworth. Uh, it's the same type of thing, and it, it's uh, but a live fire portion that Red and I get together and you actually go the experience of simulated combat. Oh wow! That's, uh, very that's cool. engagements, dropping live munitions, going through all the mission planning. Uh, it's a great tool uh, that was created as a result of uh, learned from Vietnam that if you survived your first ten missions. They had a much better chance of surviving your time over there. Most of the people, I would say most of the people, a lot of the people that were shot down and either killed or became POWs, it was in their first 10 missions over there. We really? had no other experience other than going over there and getting shot at. Red Flag has been a huge uh, uh, investment that has paid in big dividends, and it showed very well when Desert Storm kicked off. So that's that's just like at the uh, beginning of Top Gun, where they're flying around and playing tag and such with the airplanes. Yeah, but the original Top Gun, they did a lot of things that you kind of, if they did those in the Navy and the Marine Corps, then uh, they were really hanging it out there. We have a ceiling 
for most of the pilots, it was 5,000 feet above the ground uh, doing air-to-air. When you're, low, you're flying low doing a uh, uh, bombing mission, you stay low. But uh, those maneuvers they were doing in the mountains was a little scary. I wouldn't try doing that. The second one, uh, Maverick, is probably one of the best depictions of aerial uh, uh, maneuvers that uh, I can ever remember seeing, especially when you saw them doing what's called the ridge uh, crossings, where they turn face, they're facing the, the surface of the mountain, and then at a certain point they start to turn and they go over the top of the mountain. Uh, that uh, flying uh, maneuver is designed to prevent radar contact with you because the reflective energy off the side of the mountain uh, blanks out your airplane. And you can hide in that uh, that reflected energy for quite some time before you become exposed again. Yeah. It's a very good maneuver. It's just uh, the first couple times you do it, you got your uh, your bottom parts in your throat a few times. Oh my <laughs> That's yeah. a lot more polite than I would have said. I'm going to have to tell you a funny story because when Top Gun came out, that was kind of high schoolish for me. And so you can all figure out how old I am now. But anyway, <laughs> so. <laughs> My Uncle Ed and Aunt Joyce had come into town. I can't remember what it was for. I had a bunch of girlfriends over, and we were all talking about Top Gun. And, of course, they come over to the house, and I'm like, hey, girls, this is my Uncle Ed. Well, actually, Eddie is what we call him. So, anyway, but for the show, Ed. And you would have thought they were like, you know, Eddie is dark-complected, very Italian. My aunt is just as gorgeous as he is handsome. So here's a stunning couple come walking in, and my girlfriends were swooning over him, thinking, oh, my gosh, fighter pilot, oh, my God. So anyway, that that there's my fun little story for the moment. Oh, my gosh. Uh, a, a bunch of teenagers swooning over uh, <laughs> your uncle there. Yeah, I know, I know. Oh, man. I, I, I bet that was uh, probably not as exciting as flying those, those planes. <laughs> no, I'm sure. Oh my gosh! So, so Ed, uh, uh, well, let's get back to you. <laughs> so, so tell us a little bit more about what what you were you were flying red flag missions. Well, um, it was the communications before I got back to flying. Mm-hmm. Uh, we went out and set up the data link system, the network. There's a uh, uh, piece of equipment that's bolted onto the uh, airframe that monitors your position and all of the different maneuvers you're doing during the entire time you're doing one of the missions. And that is data link back to the control center. And when you get back from the mission, you go through these debriefings where you see where you, what you've done, whether you met your timeframes for the low levels to b- dropping bombs, how you did in the air-to-air functions, and whether you were maneuvering safely around surface-to-air threats and that type of thing. So you really learn about uh, how to fly properly in a high-threat environment, and it's a, it's a great way to teach people how to fly to do the business that they're trained to do. That, that's really amazing. So uh, that data linking is something that has now become a very important part of aviation. Uh, in the latter part of my career, I tried to convince the senior people in the division I was working in that we needed to put data links of various different tech, uh uh, capabilities in our airframes to be, provide uh, situational awareness. Now it's a part and parcel to most of the flying that's done, especially in the fighter community, so that you can see all the uh, threats around you as well as where your friendlies are and keep track of that. And 
it's a significant improvement in uh, situational awareness. And that's part of what you did out in the civilian world as well. Yes, it did. If you think about it, if you're in the Marines or the Army, you guys are doing the same things with your, your uh, um, uh, blue force trackers. Soldiers. Yeah. Uh, exactly. Exactly. And uh, types of certain types of communications, when you see the mic, it also has a parallel link on it that puts your position in the command post so they can keep track of where guys are moving on the ground. You know, I, I got to tell you, that's really uh, that's really a part of what uh, saved mine and Dale's life when uh, we hit the landmines. We were so far out of range from communications that it was only through the Blue Force tracker that they knew we weren't moving and that we had we had, you know, had a, had a problem and and they were able to send helicopters to our position. And so that's a real testament to that technology and advancement, you know, that we've had on the battlefield. And, you know, every time, every, every, every minute in that precious time is, uh, is, is so vital and important to uh, really being able to get to the medical treatment that, that ultimately uh, keeps us alive. And so that's, that is really cool. Really, um, there was, uh, you were in Afghanistan. Uh, Iraq. Yes, Iraq. North, northern Iraq. Iraq. Yep. Yeah. yeah so. The um, the system that was flying the way up. Hey, Ed, we're going to have to hear a little bit more about that after the break. You've been listening to Putting the Pieces Back Together on WSIC News Talk Now. We'll be right back after these messages. Welcome back to Putting the Pieces Back Together, presented by Purple Heart Homes. And we are live here at WSIC News Talk Studios. And uh, $18. I don't know about $18, but um, <laughs> just the fact that they're letting me stay, stay on the air and uh, letting me back in the doors after the calls and complaints from the Marine Moms of America. You know, I, and, uh, I, I think did it's a put win in for a me. good word for you. I just uh, want to say that. It's a. Uh, Oh, um, see, I knew you loved me. You know, I do. I, th- I, I think d- you just love me for my crayons. Oof. <laughs> Oof. You know, with that kind of talk, I might have to rethink that uh, endorsement that I gave you there. It's. <laughs> you going to call your mom? Uh, <laughs> oh, she's probably listening. I don't know. She's gonna call John. <laughs> I'm gonna yeah. give her give her his cell phone. We'll see how that works. All so. right, let me go turn that phone off. Uh, so I want to transition back to uh, Ed and uh, and speaking of transition, uh, you know, Ed, you were sharing that you had some you know kind of lessons learned in that transition period, and uh, if you would uh, just share a little bit with us and with our listeners. Transition programs. Uh, don't pass up that opportunity to take advantage of it. They're well-prepared. They've got people like myself that come back and give presentations about what to expect when you step out the door, uh, and especially the relationship that you're going to have with your civilian com- uh, counterparts that have never had military experience. There's always, you watch in places like Home Depot and Lowe's where you can tell which guys are military because mm-hmm. they come up to you, they're, they're open, they want to help you. They know where the things are, and they've got the expertise that they need. So you got a civilian guy that hasn't had that experience, and he's not as, as open 
especially when he, he knows that you're former military. There's an interesting relationship, even when you get out, that uh, you fellows that you uh, are with. And in my experience with the, the defense contractor that I work for, the guys that were like me that had come out, when we were doing tasks, we'd get the job done because we were trained that way. And you spoke little of what you needed to do. You just knew what you had to do. Your civilian counterparts, you get yourself caught up in using your slangs and, and acronyms and that type of thing. And you see the off flags pop up in their eyes because you lose them. <laughs> so you need to, to go back to civilian life and learn how to speak civilian. That, that's, and, and it's an important thing to be able to communicate. That's absolutely true. Uh, uh, Lisa's nodding her head along as you you mention these acronyms and and talking in, in slang that, uh, that that the civilian folks don't understand because um, be, even though we aren't a military organization at Purple Heart Homes, we we all half of us come from the military, and so it, it's it's a little harder for those habits of us to speaking uh, in those terms to die. Um, and so the civilians that, that are there, uh, sometimes, uh, well, they, their eyes gloss over and they're like, what are they talking about? So uh, they, they, they get to experience that. Taking notes. <laughs> yeah, sometimes that, that slang, the vernacular, uh, oftentimes uh, gets a little uh, stressful for folks, right? And, and we have to uh, kind of streamline it a little bit more and, and help people, you know, uh, understand some of what we're saying and and share with them some of the meanings and 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 in some ways the intent of what we're saying as well right people can misconstrue things that that we say as maybe aggressive or maybe maybe too forceful or or uh, maybe even rude in some ways but the directness in the military is so appreciated uh, it's just cutting through the um, cutting through the the I might say the, uh, mm. I won't say red tape. It's not red tape, but there, there's no need to have any fluff. Just no say fluff. it. Right, yeah. We, we just want to get to the point. And, and obviously uh, you can't just cut through it here on the radio because maybe you can't really say that live on the air. What is that? <laughs> bluff? Isn't that uh, your... Fluff, your, yeah. No, 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 your, uh, oh, bluff. your acronym. Yeah, bluff, bottom line up front. And uh, a lot of times... Uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it, it sounds like you know that one, Ed. <laughs> yeah. Get, get to the, the punchline and uh, do away with the fluff. Yeah, that, that's, that's absolutely right. So, so Ed, you know, as, as we start to wind down the show here, what would you share with uh, some, some bright young minds that, that would be listening that would, um, you know, maybe be considering joining the military? Well, the, the, the technologies now are all turning toward digital communications, equipment, uh, the encryption of things. A person that does cryptology or works in uh, crypto for communications can pretty much write their ticket when they step out the door because banking, uh, hospitals, uh, major universities are all screaming for people with crypto uh, background and electronics. People that have worked in uh, uh, local area networks and uh, computer uh, design and uh, installation army and that type of thing are in such high demand in the civilian life that you get your certifications in the military and people will actually come looking for you. You may even not even have a t an intent to get out and somebody starts holding big bucks up in front of your nose. 
But the thing I would say to those people that want to get in, what you get out of the military is invaluable. The camaraderie, the training, the discipline, all the things that will, will last the rest of your life. If you make it a career, now 15 years or even 20, the extra benefits are just irreplaceable, like lifelong medical support. Uh, that is, I can't say enough about that. And now my initial experience with the VA was fair to Midland, but now I'm really <laughs> impressed with the way that the, the VA has, has uh, supported uh, the veteran and continues to keep communication lines open. They reach out like they never did before. So you get it at both ends. Um, it's, it turned out to be an excellent life. That, that's true. And there are so many more services out there now for veterans, uh, whether they be from the VA or um, from, from organizations like ours, Purple Heart Homes, uh, which, by the way, if you want to support Purple Heart Homes, uh, visit our website, phhusa.org, so we can continue our mission of helping disabled and aging veterans with housing needs. Um, yeah. And so, uh, Ed, just just one last question for you here as, as we wind down, and and uh, we'll, we'll give Lisa the last word here. She's uh, she brought you on as a, a guest, and we're we're so thrilled to have you. And just I first want to say to in, in closing, just thank you so very much for your service. Uh, what what an amazing career, and and thank you for being willing to share some with us here on the show. But what advice might you give to members of the community as they find themselves interacting with men and women that have uh, exited or left the military and starting their reintegration process? Uh, it's interesting because I have a friend of mine that owns an architectural company that asked me that question because he's got a guy that has PTSD. But that's just one of the areas where you can go online and find out where you can go get counseling yourself, where you can get information to support your uh, retiree or guy that's gotten out of the service with certain types of uh, limitations. Uh, but the breadth of support right now uh, is just amazing. And it, he asked me to lay out a whole bunch of information for him and it set him up with contacts, uh, and some counseling for some of the, the supervisors that work with this individual so that they would get a better idea of what to expect and how to handle the situations when they come up with this guy. And it's already proven its value. I got a call from him a couple of days ago that told me how much he appreciated the information that I provided to him. That, but I, I tell anybody in the civilian community with that background, just be patient. There's a lot there that you can get from this uh, training for yourself as well as some of the things that can be done for the vet as well. That is awesome. And, and uh, thank you for putting that out there. Lisa, what, what are your final thoughts? I just want to say how proud I am to know that I have this wonderful person in my life, Ed, who brought so many fun stories to us growing up and funny stories, serious stories, things he couldn't tell us even. But to be able to have a closer understanding of what the men and women of our military branches are, are doing every day and and now to be a part of purple heart homes it's it's such a blessing and amazing and and we are certainly very thankful to have you uh, we can already see all the good things you're doing i'm not just saying that because you're my boss um, say, go ahead <laughs> you want to pay me some money now so lisa did i just hear Devin say that you've got a secret stash of crayons hidden in your desk that you're bribing him with? <laughs> how did you know 
Well, I know Devin very well. <laughs> Great. Now his mom's going to call me, too. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, God bless you all, and have a Merry Christmas. Oh, God bless hey. you, and uh, thank you so much. We hope you have a Merry Christmas as well, you and your entire family. And uh, just, again, thank you for your service. You, and uh, you know, We hope to uh, maybe get to meet you in person one day. Occasionally uh, we get down south to uh, be able to do some projects and and uh, we got a, got a great community down there. Hey, and uh, we'll be back next week for a, a brand new show on putting the pieces back together, presented by Purple Heart Homes on WSIC. K Bar Soap is going to be on the show. K Bar Soap. And so, wow. I want. Did your mom ever make you eat soap for that uh, filthy crayon mouth? Oh my gosh! I you know. <sighs> Wow. You got to end it that way. (laughs) Hey, you've been listening to Putting the Pieces Back Together. You've been listening to Putting the Pieces Back Together, brought to you by Purple Heart Homes. Please consider making a donation to this worthwhile cause dedicated to improving the lives of veterans one home at a time by visiting purplehearthomesusa.org. Join us again next Thursday at 3 p.m. for Putting the Pieces Back Together on WSIC News Talk Now.